JJ Cooper, Corey Patton here on another Tech in Baseball, Baseball America podcast, also a Baseball America draft podcast. We are merging the streams here. We are using tech as we have it to analyze the draft. And if you enjoy this podcast, if you are excited about this podcast, I would recommend we've already done one about the pitchers of the 2021 draft class, Corey and I. So I would recommend listening to that one first. We go into more detail about why and how and what draft point is and how these comparisons that we are going to talk about have been developed and derived and all that. However, for those few out there, those listeners who hate pitchers, think they're flaky, think they're unreliable, whatever it is, they just want to hear about the bats. They just want to hear about the hitters. Corey Patton, CEO of Pramana, is going to explain it to us. Explain to us what draft point is. Ah, sure thing, JJ. Glad to be here. Uh, yeah, so let's turn to the hitters. And the reason that we are talking today is because we have a tool at Promona called DraftPoint. Been using it for years with major league teams and now with Baseball America. It takes the scouting reports. It looks at scouting reports, not this, you know, not all the metrics that are derived in the stats. It looks at how experienced scouts and experienced writers like JJ and team have written about players over the years to describe those mechanics of those players. And so it will create a, using all the information available in those scouting reports and some AI, it creates a neighborhood of players, comps, where these players live that are going to be drafted this year and who they most look like from the way that they were described in the past and giving you a potential indicator of how they will perform in the future. So good and bad, we do a ranking system based on some interesting you know, methodologies and algorithms and we give you what we think is the most likely group of players, ranking them in order, to succeed and the comps necessary to make those assessments. So we're sitting here with JJ, who remembers every player, so he doesn't need draft points. But occasionally it helps him memorize or memory helps him call to his memory some players that he might have thought about in the past and says, yeah, I forgot about that player, but he looks very similar to these players in the upcoming draft. So that's what we're here to do. Today, we're going to talk about some hitters. Corey's being way too kind because my memory is horrible. And uh, so this is one of the reasons that DraftPoint is wonderful for me is that it does pull up those guys where a lot of times it'll pull up a comparison that I just never would have come up with. But the minute you read it, you go, now, wait a second. There are a lot of similarities between this player and that player and kind of that it gives you that that moment, that kind of aha moment where you go, oh, wait a second here. I need to dive into this a little bit more. And when you do that, a lot of times that's when you kind of surface some of those, I would call them kind of those second level realizations that maybe you would not have realized if not for, call it jogging your memory. But in some cases, I would call it giving me information I would have not even ever remembered, but may have never put together otherwise. And that's one of the things that these comparisons that DraftPoint does you know, a really good job of. And so that's what we're going to do today. We are going to dive into hitters and we are going to dive into why. And we're, we're going to do the good and the bad here. There are reasons it gives good comps. It gives comps. It doesn't care if they're good or bad. It's going to give them you know, what it can find. And so we're going to also offer some cautionary tales because we also know, I can promise you right now, 
there are first round draft picks. We wish they all succeeded. We love prospects, but there are first round draft picks who are going to fail. And there are many, many examples at the past and draft point does a really good job of surfacing the good and the bad. So with that, Corey, to start off, I, this is the player that, you know, was a prospect coming out of high school, but at the same time is a much more prominent draft prospect now that he's had several years at Louisville and has just mashed and mashed and mashed. But, but Henry Davis, uh, draft points liked Henry Davis going back a little ways, if I, mm-hmm. if I remember. Yeah, so I feel like I know this guy. Uh, really well. So um, going back to some of our previous work with one major league team years and years ago in the 2018 draft, Davis kept showing up and he was, I think, BA 306 that year. He kept showing up in our top three hitters in the draft based on the way that the that team scouting reports had lined up and their historical reports and him that year and said, this guy has a really good chance for success. So I bubbled that up. We worked with the internal team. They actually even sent out a cross-checker to go take another look at him out at Fox Lane in New York uh, and came back and said, yeah, that guy does remind me of Mike Zanino. That was the comp we kept getting back for him, uh, one of the comps that we kept getting back for him in 2018, uh, and that just kind of moved him around on their draft board. Now, he went undrafted, uh, went to college. Obviously, I followed him because of that, and now he's uh, had a pretty solid college career. And what Draft Point with Baseball America's scouting reports has pointed out a really interesting comp that I think aligns nicely is a guy like James McCann, catcher, uh, college catcher, consistent hitter. He's got those intangibles you want with a catcher. He's got some defensive skills. Um, both of them were uh, kind of fringe average receivers that knocks them in both, uh, both of them on that. But both of them are consistent hitters. Uh, Davis may have a little bit better arm, but, you know, Yes. Coming out of high school, they were both somewhat inconsistent with their bat, but they have really proven everybody wrong during their college years and are both of them trended the correct way during their draft year with the bat in their hand. And that's one of the things that I, I would never have come up with. And again, when we say comps here, we're not talking about that this is the physical comp. We're talking kind of the, the comparisons that what the reports, that there are similarities in the reports. And I would not have thought of James McCann, but James McCann is actually, I would say, I would describe James McCann, who was not as prominent a prospect coming out of college as Henry Davis is, but I would describe that as a, as a very positive outcome, even for a, obviously, a Davis, maybe a top 10 pick, would be a very positive outcome for him. And that's a useful kind of reminder of, <laughs> of kind of how these productive college catchers can also improve in some of the ways. Like you said, there were some questions about the receiving, well, James McCann did a good job of kind of improving at that. That's something that Henry Davis has been very public about. We had a great interview that Henry Davis with our Alexis Brodnicki recently, where he talked about that he wants to be a great receiver, not just a guy with a great arm. He points out he used to have a terrible arm. He, he had a terrible arm in high school. And so what did he do? He went out and really worked on it and long toss, long toss, long toss to the point where he has a a really an asset, a plus arm now behind the plate. Well, get him into that pro coaching. Maybe the receiving catches up to that as well. So that's an interesting one there. This one's interesting because it flags a comparison to a guy. This is now kind of like we're, we're, we're in a circle where we're having draft point, look at a prospect 
and compare him to a point a prospect that draft point really like last year and it feels like i'm looking in a mirror that's looking into a mirror that's looking into a mirror but what is it uh cory about cooper kinney that uh that that stands out for draft point yeah we have him highly ranked actually on our list and again you know he's he's probably a bit of a sleeper i mean 70 is around in that range but they're both he and a guy named Nick York from last year, who everybody remembers was that Red Sox surprise draft pick that nobody saw coming in the first round. Well, <laughs> surprise, it showed up and draft point showed up, showed him as our most common comp. And they're both 195 pound bat first high schoolers, got a sweet swing. Evaluators have listed both of their bat skills as plus. Uh, they're tapping into their power on the way up each year. I mean, almost word for word, phrase for phrase with Nick York from last year. Um, obviously, bat first tool they'd be buying evaluators. Uh, and I think they mentioned both in their both cases, they mentioned evaluators say this guy might end up at second base at the next level. Don't think he's going to stick where they have him at either third or short for York's case. But you're looking at good high school bats. You're looking at guys that are very similarly built, play the same way. Uh, and last year, York went in the first round. Not sure Cooper Kinney's going to follow the same, but it's a very interesting comp to pull out. And that was interesting. It did flag. And you, when you do read those reports, they do read pretty similarly. And they also are reports that I would say that read very, that they're very positive reports. They're ones where you suss it out. You go, okay, that maybe, maybe there's a little something more here. Uh, sometimes you read that. Sometimes you read reports for higher guys. It's like, oh, maybe we should have ranked that guy. That there's some there's some definite uh, concerns there as well. We're going to keep going through this. Before we do that, though, we are going to stop for a quick break here on the Baseball America podcast. And we're back. So we're rolling through as we look at uh, hitters that are flagged by the draft point tool as comparisons with with previous success stories and sometimes not so successful stories from previous draft classes and. With Reed Trimble, I think that that's kind of a perfect example of this because it does flag success stories and also some cautionary tales. Reed Trimble is fascinating to me, partly because he is one of these players who very much was kind of a, affected, as many, many players were this year, by COVID. And I say that because we didn't really get to see everything we wanted to see from Reed Trimble in 2020 as a freshman because it was 2020. He was, so he's the second year freshman this year, having played just 11 games before this year in 2020. But he's also 21 this year in time for the draft. So that means that he is a draft eligible freshman, which is one of those weird artifacts of the COVID and you know, no one lost a year of eligibility last year. So this Southern Miss center fielder then went out and had a monster season this year. So he showed speed. He showed power. He was incredible at the NCAA regional for Southern Miss, where he pretty much did a little bit of everything. I think he was like 14 for 25, three home runs, stole the base. So you saw power, you saw speed, you saw defense in center field. He's a switch hitter, by the way. So there's a lot of things to like. The concern is, there's that short track record. So you have this athletic outfielder, short track record. Well, if you wanted to find a very positive example that was flagged for that, how about Andrew Benatendi, who Benatendi was a more prominent prospect coming out of high school, I would say, than Trimble was. But in Benatendi's case, much like Trimble's, 
in a freshman year that you could basically forget. In Benatendi's case, he just didn't play that much. I had injuries, if I remember right. But so all of a sudden, as a draft-eligible sophomore, and really effectively, that's what Trimble is this year, Benatendi then went out and was one of the best players in college baseball in his sophomore year. He goes from being a draftable player to being an easy and an obvious first round pick, which is what the, the Red Sox, where the Red Sox took him. So that's this very, very positive example of what you could see from Reed Trimble. Now, there are some other players that flagged as well. And, and one of the players that flagged, which I think is a useful kind of cautionary tale, someone who ranked in the same range is, is if you go back to Anderson Miller, who was a Western Kentucky outfitter. So again, different conferences, but a smaller school guy, Western Kentucky, Southern Miss. And we ranked him 166 on the draft board in, uh, in 2015. He ended up actually going 98th overall. So he did go even a little bit better than that. But he was an athletic outfielder, center fielder, who should be able to stick there. And it hasn't come together all the way for Anderson Miller and pro ball. And that's kind of a little bit more of a, a cautionary tale of a, another potential avenue, another potential path for Reed Trimble, which so we give you the good and we give you the, okay, so here's some other examples of what could happen here. Um, but Corey, to, to kind of kick it back to you, when I look at Noah Miller, there's a lot of things that, I, that jump out to me, but you come up with a comp that I probably would not have thought of if I'd have been asked to. But once you say it, it's like, oh, yeah, there are some interesting comparisons there. Oh, yeah. Noah Miller, uh, interestingly enough, is and it's just a, this is a nice little sleeper guy to look at at 74 in the Baseball America. But he's uh, he's our top overall fielder or hitter at this point uh, with the tool with the, looking at the neighborhood that he lives in of the players that he's comped with. But a really interesting one is Nick Gordon. And, you know, Nick Gordon, if you look at it and you step back and you say, well, I'm not sure I – fully see it. But then when you read the scouting reports, you definitely do. And Noah Miller being the brother of Owen Miller, who uh, was called up recently and I think back down again, but they're both shortstops uh, that should probably be able to play that position in the major leagues. Um, they're almost identical height and weight. Um, they have major league brothers. Both of them do. Uh, they're both described uh, with incredibly similar characteristics, good bat to ball skills, mostly line drive double hitters. Uh, short, quick strokes at the plate. Um, they both have more, you know, both have more power from the left side of the plate. Uh, both have that clean, natural, easy action in the field that everybody wants uh, with above average arms. Uh, and both run tools are close to average to a little bit above average. So if you look at them, they play the game the same, they hit the same, they field the same. They both have bloodlines that you like. It's an interesting comp to bring together. By the way, I'll throw another, I'll throw a cautionary tale on there a little bit, but a guy who, who did make it, you know, rose up for a, a pretty good way, had a had a pro career, if not a really big impact, big league career long-term. But but another guy who it surfaces is Daniel Fields, who had a big league father in his case, who was uh, uh, had a brief major league career, Bruce Fields, and was also a, a multiple-time minor league batting champion. So it's interesting, you know, one of the things that it is pulling out here is, is the bloodlines, the players who had – who've been around the game, who've grown up around the game and in, and, and in these, in these cases have kind of that feel that, that baseball IQ that often comes from that and shortstops who had that. So it was interesting to me that 
that all of them, and oh, by the way, also Luke Dykstra is another player who jumped up, who was the uh, <laughs> shortstop, who was the son of Lanny Dykstra. So, man, it, it uh, DraftPoint had some fun going through and saying, okay, so <laughs> what other uh, Bloodline uh, players can I find? Now, the next one that I want to talk about, Peyton Stovall, I, I kind of feel like there's some, we talked about Cooper Kinney. I, I feel like that Stovall is kind of the, even a little bit better version of that, like that he's one of the better pure hitters in the high school class. But at the same time, there are some questions about, so where is he going to end up defensively? Well, DraftPoint looked at that and said, okay, so let's look at some other players in the past who've had kind of those questions. And a positive example of that, I would say, is Ian Happ, who was a first-round pick of the Cubs coming out of Cincinnati, he had played a little bit of, you know, there was questions about where he was going to play, but everyone liked the bat. So that's an example of, of where, how it could really work out really well for Peyton Stovall. Same time, has cautionary tales. Cole Stoby, who was a uh, prominent pick of the Phillies a few years ago, and it hasn't come together. Again, it liked the bat. The bat ended up in pro ball in that case, not being as good as we had thought it was going to be coming out of high school. Got a guy like Hudson Potts. Hudson Potts was an underslot first round pick of the Padres a few years, has since been traded, uh, you know, and we don't know yet on Hudson Potts. But when I saw Hudson Potts, I thought, you know, that that actually does make some sense here because you really are, in Stovall's case, you're you're looking at the bat and you're saying, we're going to figure out defensively where he fits long term. And I think that you could say that with, with these guys as well. Chris Parmley was another guy at flagged who was again, another prominent high school bat who in his case, I'd say the defensive concerns ended up being kind of a limiting factor for him long-term. Now I'm talking about defensive concerns and, and limitations of that. I, I'm going to flip it the other way for your next guy. I don't think with Jordan McCants, we have nearly as much concern about whether he's going to be able to make a defensive impact in the game, partly because the guy can fly. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Jordan McCants is one of those super athletes when you look at that. And DraftPoint picked that up clearly because they've got him comped to another guy from a couple years ago, Taylor, uh, Taylor Tremel. And, and both high school burners got that fringe average arm. So they've got an issue of where they may want to play defensively, where they're what side of the infield, outfield but they can fly 80. Some of them have a, I think both of them had a 70 or 80 grade on their running ability. Um, they got progressing power. They both understand the strike zone right now. Their offensive game has really picked up to complement their running game, but watching the way that the high school reports translated from the initial report to the final report on Jordan McCants versus Taylor Trammell is, is really interesting to see how that thing progressed. And so if you got a guy that, that lines up with Taylor, like that you want his maturation curve to match up and draft points pointing out a couple of really nice possibilities there. And as you said, the fringy arm strength. So that leads to some defensive questions about him. But at the same time, I really like that in both cases, it also pulls out the plate discipline, the ability to draw a walk, which I would say with Taylor Trammell, that's been one of his biggest strengths as a, uh, as a pro is that he, always is going to post solid on base percentages, even in some years where his batting average dipped a little bit. It's kind of been that combination of walks and power, which is very much part of the game in 2021, without a doubt. Um, speaking of walks and speaking of power, the last guy that I want to touch on 
is Louisville's Alex Benayas, who kind of came into this year as a very likely first rounder, was seen as a guy who had the big power. The hope was he was also going to play third base this year. And so it all comes together. You're going to have this, this guy at the hot corner who can hit for average, hit for power. And in Benayas's case, it really very slow start to the year. The other bad news is, is because of kind of how defensively everything lined up at Louisville, he ended up being in a first baseman, not their third baseman. So that adds a little bit more concern because then you're asking more from the bat. And he did finish strong. He did have some very nice power binges. He had a three home run game, uh, in fact, in the ACC tournament, if I remember correctly. But it, it's something where he comes into the draft probably a little bit further down on the draft board than maybe he would have thought he would have been coming into the year. I find it fascinating, you know, you're, when you talk about big power, defensive questions, hit tool questions, Michael Chavis, the, uh, the, the Red Sox first baseman, third baseman, is one who grew as a comp that, to me, has a lot of those similar characteristics. Is he a third baseman? Is he a first baseman? Is he going to hit for average? Or you say, you know what, the power is enough. I'll just live with that. I think that's a positive outcome. But another one that flagged, and there are a little bit different attributes here, but pulled out some of the other aspects of them. Uh, it also compared Benayas to Nick Banks, and I thought that was useful because Nick Banks, I know there's probably people listening to this podcast going, Nick Banks? who you know, But Nick Banks was considered a really prominent draft prospect coming into his draft year. Uh, Missouri, if I remember correctly, had been a player on USA Baseball's college national team, and it didn't come together for him, his, his draft year. And so... Uh, the Nationals ended up drafting Banks, but it hasn't come together in pro ball either. So he was a player who had these lofty expectations, who had a, a down draft year. And you would say, okay, is that just a, a slump that he's going to pull through? In some cases it is, but in some other cases it is that no, that maybe that year before was kind of at the utter peak of a player's potential and really kind of return more to, to normalcy in that draft year. So we don't know yet with what Benayas will be, but we do know that there are cautionary tales out there as well. And again, that's one of the things that draft point surfaces is the cautionary tales as well. Nick Banks is his career isn't over, but he is not really hitting right now in double a didn't really hit pre COVID in 2019, all that great either. So you would say that that's more of a cautionary tale for Alex Benayas. Corey kind of with that, like, <laughs> When you're looking at these, how do you blend the kind of the yin and the, the yin and the yang when you're looking at players and you see, and it flags someone who's, ooh, that's a really, you know, that's a really intriguing one. And then the next guy is someone that you makes you go, oh, I, I, I need to, I, I need to kind of cool down my enthusiasm a little bit. Well, I, I think naturally we tend to gravitate towards the comps we like. And so you, if you get a nice Michael Chavis comp, you're going to say, oh, he reminds me of Michael Chavis. But then if you look at the rest of his comps, and that's why we give you quite a few comps to look at, you can blend it through and look through and you can use our math and, or our math, which ranks them. We look at the full neighborhood and say, well, here's the most successful full neighborhood based on some algorithms we've got. And you can say, well, he's probably in a good neighborhood that, where the good outweighs the bad. Or you can look at it and say, man, there's only only one player I actually like in that neighborhood. And so when I dig in and I see more bad than good, I, I kind of have to lean away from my inherent bias of those. So that's, you know, with Pinellas, 
Uh, he's got, you know, one, one nice comp. He's got some others that maybe are a little cautionary and um, draft points got him in the middle of the pack because of that. I, I like this going back to Jordan McCants here, but I've got him up in draft point right now. And we talked about Taylor Trammell, but we also have DJ Wilson. We also have Forrest mm-hmm. wall. We also have Alonzo Jones. So you have some more of those players, kind of that, that, that comparison Forrest wall was considered Again, when we talk about cautionary tales, Forrest Wall was considered one of the best pure bats in his draft class. Concerns about the arm, concerns about where he was going to end up defensively. At the end of the day, what I would say what Forrest Wall shows you is when you have those, those defensive concerns, especially with the arm, so that moves you down the defensive spectrum. At that point, then the demands on the bat become more significant. In Wall's case, the bat just wasn't able or at least so far, again, he's not retired, but the bat was not, it has not been able to live up to those now more lofty expectations. He played some second, played in the outfield as well. You hope that's not going to be the case for Jordan McCants, but again, it is a useful way to look at this and say, oh, could be that, or it could be this. That's the, that's what makes me Fascinated about the draft here. This will be, I think, my 20th draft year at Baseball America. And it's just as interesting now as it was in year one, uh, even if the, the players who were in year one have, most of them have now retired. It's sad to say because I'm old. But, um, but that's what's fascinating about all this. And that's where we like using the draft point tool to help us kind of fill this out. So thank you for all the insights, Corey. We're going to have some of these up at baseballamerica.com as well. So for Corey Patton, I'm JJ Cooper. So long, everybody. Mm-hmm.